0: So, uh, it's funny, I, uh, I just realized I was going over, like, looking at your, your info and stuff, you know, and I uh, saw that you're a, a Michiganer, and uh, yeah. I used to go to a judo camp outside of Michigan. Okay. Uh, it was near Flint, I think, in hindsight. I'm not sure. Um, oh. And it was a judo camp that was there, and they used to, we used to tease each other about our accents, the Michigan accent and the Canadian accent. They used to tell me that I would say dollar. And I said that they would say jash and daller. I don't know if yours is quite as pronounced as theirs was, but... Well, it's, um, it's really nice to meet you today. And um, I guess the introduction was through a, a connected friend. Um, I used to teach judo to, to um, Mrs. Klausner's boys, Dan and Ron, for a long time. So I've known them since they were like seven and eight.
1: Oh my gosh, that's awesome!
0: Yeah, and they're just such a great, lovely family. I love them so much, and and, um, and really good kids. And, and uh, it's nice to see. It's it's sort of wild too, in a sense, to see when it's they were they were I think they were seven and nine when I met them, and now they're both in university. I think. Um, wow. Yeah, it's kind of surreal, and like a lot of kids that I've coached, um, like Ron's kid, Ron and Solomon, and to see them go from like eleven to twelve years old to 22 and competing internationally is, like,
1: it's it's both
0: exciting and also, like, kind of messes with you a little bit.
1: I bet. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I've been coaching for the past eight years, cross-country and track at a high school, and just... Well, it's going to be my, my my ninth year, and having some of the girls come back that I coached my first year is just crazy. It's like, oh my gosh, that was almost ten years ago already. Right. right. And they're all graduated from college and getting married and stuff, and it, yeah, it's really cool to see that, but mind blowing too. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like, I don't know if it necessarily makes me feel old, but it doesn't make me feel younger. That's for sure. right.
1: Yeah. Right. Yep. I agree. Right.
0: Um, so one thing that the That was really intriguing to me or interesting is specifically I wouldn't say my own struggles with necessarily but maybe um, because I'm not that educated on it but I'm involved in a sport that has weight classes so it's definitely occurred many times Um, one thing that judo likes to do is scapegoat wrestling because American wrestling has a very bad history and so we often Sort of like sometimes um, Canadians look at politics happening in the States. We're like, oh, it's better here. So we're perfect because, you know, it's so wild in the States. And I think sometimes judo looks at wrestling and goes, yeah, but we're okay. Because look at wrestling. And I don't think that's a very good place to necessarily come from because you can always do better. And I think it sort of provides us this safety net that we're doing well. And um, it's obviously going to be more prevalent in a body weight, weight category sport, I would guess. Um, And then the other thing that was interesting to me wasn't necessarily on eating disorders but I saw something we have a national coaching certification program and it gave a statistic because it's often highlighted and rightfully so about the body dysmorphia or women with um, worrying about their body image as like a normal thing and that that's so common and it's often spoken about. But the statistic that I saw on the National Coaching Certification, I can't remember the number, but it was significantly higher for men, that more men um, and boys have physical body issues, a lack of confidence in their own body. And I was like, oh, and then I thought about my own family, and I'm the baby of five. And all of my brothers deal with that, not necessarily eating disorders, but deal with that one way or the other. And I was like, you don't necessarily think of it that way. And I think it's a conversation somewhat like, up until recently mental health where it's the conversation has been mostly but uh, oftentimes the mental health of women are oftentimes the body weight issues or eating disorders of women but it definitely happens to boys and I think it's somewhat neglected.
1: Absolutely yeah I mean I saw one statistic on the National Eating Disorder Association website which oh. is you know based in the U.S. about how men in weight class or aesthetic sports about 33% of eating disorders affect men but that's um, not even the guys that are never diagnosed because they don't, because we have this stigma around eating disorders that it doesn't affect men as much.
0: Right. Um,
1: my, my AC just turned on. Is that okay? Is oh, that, yeah, it's fine. All? No, okay. It's so hot here. I don't know where right. you're at actually.
0: <laughs> uh, I'm in the Northwest territories. Okay. So go North and then keep going North. And then when you think you're at the end of the world, you just go like another, like 1200 kilometers. And uh, wow. that's where we are. Yeah. yeah. So we're like, we're a two hour flight north of Edmonton.
1: Okay. So yeah. What are the temperatures like there?
0: Well, it's warm now, but um,
1: okay.
0: it gets real cold. Like, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. you don't plug your car yeah. in and you don't, and you don't <laughs> run your car for a day. Your car doesn't start in the winter. Um, some lakes are probably still frozen over right now, but maybe not. It's warm, but um, it's the ice is like, this is where they have, like, they used to have the shows on the ice highways and stuff that's mm. us. Like we are, we're in line with Alaska.
1: Wow. I had a friend who lived in Alaska for about five years and I visited her once. It's gorgeous, but yeah, pretty cold. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. You got to dress accordingly. Yeah. Yeah. And different wildlife in nature. You know, I've seen, um, bears and I've seen, you see foxes all the time. You see ravens that are about this tall, not crows, wow. giant ravens, lynx, um, bison, wild wow. bison. Yeah. They're like, Yeah, it's fascinating. Or um, it doesn't get dark at all. Like the sun technically goes down, but it doesn't fully. um, Yeah, so like at two in the morning, you look outside and it's like dusk.
1: Wow, that's just fascinating.
0: Yeah, and we have Judo in the north of us in a place called Inuvik, where the sun doesn't set. It's north of the Arctic Circle. The sun doesn't set for 50 days. Wow, wow. Yeah, Yeah, and then they have like a period... Comparatively, i think they have like a 30 day period where it's dark okay yeah so we're Crazy. up there yeah, yeah
1: yeah yeah it's almost 100 degrees today high humidity it's, it's pretty yeah. warm yeah yeah that's
0: one thing that's one thing we don't get here is we don't get a lot of uh humidity which okay. is really nice yeah it's really dry it's like uh it's like we have a lot of lakes like everywhere but it's near it's it's uh almost desert conditions so you don't have a lot of rainfall you have a lot of snow but that's not from snowing very much you get snow and once it falls it never goes away because it's so cold gotcha yeah so yeah it's pretty fascinating but yeah um so you're saying that you were um sort of we I sort of jumped around but and then I hit record uh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah, it's fine so well it's okay because I'll sort of do a rerun into jumping into things and we're going to edit anyways and I hit record late so I guess like um the the thing that I find fascinating or not fascinating fascinating is not a great term it sounds good the thing that I find interesting is um was one seeing the statistic on the likelihood of eating disorders in athletes is two to three times as high and that uh there's a lot there's a lot of boys and men with eating disorders. That's sort of a forgotten piece, which is, is clearly important. Um, And I think also just culturally, it makes it important. Like if boys talk about it, then the conversation opens up more to girls talking about it when it's ignored on one side where it's really not spoken about on the boy side at all, then it's also easier for probably for that, that conversation to sort of vanish on the, on the women's side as well.
1: Yeah. And athletics are wonderful. Like people mm-hmm. should absolutely be involved in sports, but I think coaches especially should be aware that eating disorders or disordered eating affect that population even more because a lot of, I guess, traits associated with eating disorders, like I hate saying using discipline with eating disorders, but a lot of like that hard focus and mm-hmm. trying to reach a goal with eating disorders is very similar to sports mm-hmm. um, and sports sometimes don't have a lot of balance because in a way you kind of have to go past your limits mm-hmm. or train harder than other people. And there's a lot of comparison with who's training and what way and how much and how long. Yeah, it it's hard because the line is so blurred between how your eating is affected or how you feel about your body in comparison to other people in your sports and how you want to succeed without hurting your body.
0: Yeah. I think, um, in terms of sport, the way that I sort of think about it is high performance sport is integral to inspire people to do amazing things. And it's also important that some people physically aspire to do incredible things because that can lead to many, many, but, but high performance at the very high levels isn't necessarily by nature, healthy habits. It's obsessive compulsive. It's goal oriented to the nth degree. It's pushing your body past the point of its physical limitations, which lead to significant injuries, like the ulnar collateral ligament in the elbow in terms of pitching it's safe to say that pitching a baseball is not good for you physiologically. Your elbow isn't meant with that kind of stress. Now playing baseball and living that all of that stuff is very healthy lifestyles. And I don't think that high performance sport is bad, but I think maybe when we push ourselves so hard, much like workaholics at the, that get to CEO positions of mega companies is not looking at it like it's a negative thing because these all of these positions are going to exist but look at it like these people are going to need support in ways that you might not think because it's very hard it's you know getting like they have to understand sleeping behaviors better because that has such an impact like you're pushing your body to such extremes i'm sure you've had significant injuries i have most athletes um you know there's broken bones and ligaments and and um lack of sleep from stress and pressure of wanting to perform and most of it's the vast majority is self-inflicted, um, because we're so driven, but, but yeah, I I mean, obviously healthy lifestyles are important and that leads people to want to just play basketball just for fun. And it's a really great thing, but, but I think, yeah, it can easily fall into a slippery slope of like people needing help. And because we're such tough people that we don't necessarily want to look weak and ask for it.
1: Yeah. And, part of the sport culture is also figuring out how to best balance it all. So where you're working hard enough to find the performance benefits, but also not working so hard that you're breaking your body down and teaching young athletes how to read their bodies better and how to not burn out so quickly so that this is something they can continue to do Mm -hmm. for the rest of their lives in a healthy way that doesn't impede the rest of their lives. And I often say too, with eating disorders, you know, it's really negative you if it's uh taking over everything else in your life and if your sport is taking over everything else in your life where you're losing out on relationships and general happiness and neglecting your health like that it's not worth it in the end Mm
0: -hmm. right and and the other part that gets lost in that sometimes too by the athlete because we think um i need to put all my time and energy into this to get the performance that i need and i think what's often lost is without that more of a balanced approach is that your uh, performance usually gets negatively affected by this sole single-minded approach without having the social breaks from it, without having some other interests, or you may have those interests, but without giving some time to them, you're actually hindering your performance, which I think is, is lost in that way too.
1: Yeah. And I think it's important to note too, especially from my own experience with an eating disorder, The first year when I had lost weight, I did see better performances, Mm -hmm. but the years following, it was so, so many crazy ups and downs. I was constantly injured. And you'll probably hear this from a lot of people who've had eating disorders in sport where there's one seemingly very successful year. And then years later, I mean, I'm at a point where I can't run anymore either. And not everyone is going to see those performance I guess in quotes, benefits the first year. Um, Sometimes bodies just immediately say, nope, this is not going to work. But when a person is so deep in their eating disorder, they may still have a lot of trouble getting out of it, even if their performances aren't actually better too. So it's very complicated and that's why it requires so much therapy and working with a dietitian and other professionals to really work through that and showing coaches how to access those resources. This
0: episode is brought to you by Bearn Ground Coffee. Started in 2017 in Yellowknife, they focus on delicious blends of coffee from all over the world and now ship anywhere in Canada. They support numerous events and causes and not only deliver a great product but prioritize staff health and well-being. Go out and get some of their coffee if you haven't already. Yeah. Yeah, the um Yeah. And the other thing is, is depending on the sport, um, success isn't only measured by timelines, you know, like some things it's a race, you ran faster, so it's measurable, but, um, performance is not always necessarily so easily other than results. And there's only so many events in a year. So sometimes it's hard to see progress. It's very hard to objectively define progress today. This guy beat me, but he was on a hot day. Okay, well then, does that mean I am or not progressing? So when you have, whether or not you're progressing is muddied, then it only reinforces bad habits that it might be benefiting you because you can't directly show that it's helping or not. So it could reinforce this like, no, this has got to be better because it's measurable that I'm lighter. I can measure that. I can step on a scale. So that can't be hindering me i mean realistically obviously it can but but when you when you can't always measure success so easily then you could think it's helping
1: exactly yeah great point
0: um so i guess what got you into um becoming a spokesperson and talking to people about it was your own struggles with it and then um I, my estimate would be that you didn't feel like you had the support or couldn't find the support or a lot of information for yourself.
1: Yeah. When I was first struggling, I thought that most athletes had to kind of watch their food intake a little bit, but I also thought that there was something broken with my body. I thought I gained weight a lot easier than everyone else. So I started making rules for myself about how much less I needed to eat and that I would just have to feel hungry because I thought that's just how I had to fix myself. And I was too scared Mm -hmm. to tell anyone because I thought they would just say, wow, she just doesn't have enough discipline. She doesn't care about her sport enough and she's hungry. That's crazy. Like look at how much food she eats. So in my head, it was a very bullying type feeling about Mm -hmm. how much I wanted to eat and wouldn't let myself eat. Mm -hmm. And over time, of course, most of bodies will rebel. And I started struggling with binge eating disorder, which is eating enormous quantities of food and feeling very out of control. There's a lot of guilt and shame associated with it. And so I was going through that and worried about how it would affect my running, but also thinking, okay, this couldn't possibly be an eating disorder because I'm eating a lot. And, you know, Perception is everything I I should have been eating that much because that's what my body needed. But I was Mm. so worried about what other people thought and what I deemed acceptable. So I was very embarrassed. And even I have a book running in silence, which details a lot of this. And I had a whole conversation with my mom in there. It didn't go well when I first told her about what was going on, but yeah, I was just so embarrassed that I couldn't tell anyone and I had to Mm -hmm. tell her through an email. because I was scared to say it out loud. Mm -hmm. So once like I had those experiences, I felt it was really important to start talking about it just so other people understood where I was at because by that time, my performances were just declining. I was not doing very well. So I thought, okay, maybe I'll set up a blog Mm -hmm. so that people could see what was actually happening behind the scenes. I had this idea that people thought I didn't understand anything about food or that I didn't know about calories. And I wanted to show them, I knew everything about calories. And I was so, I was keeping so much of this in and not sharing it. And it was time to talk about it more. So I set up the website and heard a lot of people. Well, a lot of people reached out to me saying that they struggled also. And that made me realize oh my gosh there are so many more out there and that was before I even knew about the statistics and athletes being two to three times more likely to develop this stuff and yeah there just wasn't a lot of information out there and my coach didn't totally know what to do he was very supportive but just didn't fully understand it and then when I became a coach a few years later I saw that there were no trainings about this yet again so many athletes struggle there's very few studies out there, but from the few that we do have uh, for female cross-country runners, about one in five struggle with eating disorders. Like we talked about, we need more statistics about men with eating disorders, but we have that stat from the National Eating Disorder Association in the U.S. that 33% of weight class aesthetic sports um, or 33% of eating disorders affect men in those sports. Mm -hmm. And that's likely under the actual information, because men are not diagnosed as much. Mm -hmm. So there's just so much work to do yet. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to get that conversation started. I'm not a dietitian or a therapist, but I was an athlete who struggled. I'm a coach, and I see how valuable it is to get this information out there. And that's what led to starting the running in silence nonprofit. So the website was running in silence, because I felt like I was running and not talking about this. And I started the organization to be able to speak and educate and talk to other coaches and try to get some more trainings going or something just so that we can start encouraging this conversation and giving coaches and athletes the tools to start addressing it so that there's fewer people running in silence.
0: Right. Yeah. The I, I would estimate that that number is probably massively under, massively under, because yeah. it's like, again, it's like we know men see doctors less often. We know that they talk less about their feelings and the emotional state that they're in. And, and so it's only makes sense that that conversation, like uh, I've never had a conversation with another man about eating disorders in my life. And it's, it's um, yeah, there's like, it's a weird stigma that, that it makes you feel weak and the other the other part about it is like when you speak about shame the shame of of the food that's like something that connects to me like uh you know you'll eat something and then it's you, your my response to it is well how can i make this how can i make myself not feel guilty about having eaten this thing it's like, a, a you know, the sort of mental self conversation that you have of like self talk. Okay. How can, how can I make it okay that I eat that? And that if I eat it tomorrow, that I'm not, uh, a terrible person or I'm not doing something horrific or whatever, it's a very weird thing. And, the the other part that I think that affects athletes is that it affects after because we're not always taking into account whether we're young and growing into our bodies or, leaving sport and growing out of being full-time athletes is that our body's going to change and so you get used to a body type from say you're 18 to 23 where you're training 6 days a week and you're not training 6 days a week and you're like well now I feel gross because this is different than I was like I'm not you know I'm 28 29 at the time or whatever and you're like but I'm not training like I was because I'm not an athlete anymore So then your perception of yourself, your self-perception gets a little wonky.
1: Yeah, it's really difficult because we have this culture that deems a lot of food good or bad. And we're also looking to certain celebrities or people about how to eat instead of talking about working with a registered dietitian who would Mm -hmm. actually have all of the science and information to give us the right information. Right. Um, there's so many diets and yeah, it's, we're inundated with this information. That's not actually helpful and will more likely keep us in this cycle of feeling guilty about our food and maybe eat overeating or undereating. It's, it's really, it, that's why I advocate for professionals so much because we don't talk about that enough. And if anyone mm-hmm. is struggling, I often say, Oh, have you considered a registered dietitian? Because they, they aren't used as much as I think they should be
0: right. Right. Um, I guess, um, in terms of eating disorders, like what are the ones that are most prevalent from your experience or that people have reached out to you about the most that, um, is their struggle?
1: I've a lot, well, binge eating is the most men eating. Um, and then of course, most people know about anorexia and bulimia, bulimia one thing to note about that which is you know eating a lot of food sort of similar to binge eating um and again i think it comes down to perception because some people with bulimia will think they binged but they really ate food that their bodies needed um and they'll purge either through vomiting or exercise or not eating much if at all later Mm -hmm. to make up for it um so And people usually have a combination of eating disorders. So it could be anorexia where they're not eating enough and anorexia can affect anyone at any size. It's not just one body shape. Most people think when they hear anorexia, someone who's very thin, but someone can have anorexia and be in a larger body. And yeah, so most people go through multiple eating disorders. And I think the previous term for that was eating disorder, not otherwise specified, most people have that because it's a combination of disordered eating practices and
0: uh, there's also
1: orthorexia which isn't an official term in the diagnostic and statistical manual for mental illness but it's the preoccupation with the purity of food and i really explore that in the running in silence book because for a while i was doing like this raw food diet and hardcore veganism and sucked into this community, uh, of fruitarians and frugivores. And mm. it was a wild journey, but I, again, it came down to me thinking that my body was broken. I need to fix it. I can't tell anyone about this because they would just tell me to eat less and exercise more. Like those are the messages we usually hear instead of how to take care of ourselves and not deem food good or bad. And yeah, it, it just gets very complex.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, um, how how long ago did you did you I guess really run into it, like start writing the book and and releasing it? And how long has it been yeah. since that email to your mother, I guess?
1: Oh, the email to my mom was January 2012. <laughs> um and then I was writing like journaling through my whole experience in college because I I loved to write I've always wanted to write a book since I was a young girl and I wanted to write about running I've been running since I was five it's been like my identity for so long right. just didn't think I'd end up writing a book about running and an eating disorder uh, right. but I was journaling a lot and you know started the running in silence.org website And from there worked with one of my professors for an independent study project at Aquinas College, which is where I graduated from. So I was actually writing it in college
0: as I was journaling
1: and like transferring these journals into an actual book. And I had that published in 2016. Um, And we just did, well, sort of just uh, created the second edition of the book in 2020.
0: And so once, I guess my question, if it's not too personal, is like your own, your own struggle with it, obviously you, so you made that public, which has led to you writing the book to make it more public, having that conversation, starting those conversations. So how do you feel in terms of your journey with food at this moment?
1: Yeah, I will start off by saying no question is an awkward or weird question for me. I'm so recovered that I'm very comfortable with any of it and if there's usually like if it goes focused too much on that because anyone can have an eating disorder any size and any weight and yes my weight did fluctuate a lot through my eating disorder but that's not everyone's story either Mm -hmm. uh so that's the only question i won't answer in a podcast about what my weight was just because it doesn't matter too much. Um, But at this point I am fully recovered doing really well with food. Like I love food. I, my husband adores food. (laughs) Yeah. I told him once you have such a healthy relationship with food. And that actually helped me when I started dating him too, just seeing his passion for food. And I eat whatever I want. I eat whatever I want. I think I eat pretty healthy just because I eat foods that maybe some people would deem junk food, but yeah. I feel are great for the soul. and makes me really happy. Mm-hmm. I exercise just for the joy of it. I exercise to get to different places. Like I love biking. I love walking. I mentioned I can't really run my kneecap broke at one point. That's a whole other story. Right. Um, so yeah, I feel like I have a really great relationship with food Um, it's more, I, so I basically address the underlying anxiety and I take a medication for that, which I think has helped too. a lot of people with eating disorders usually will have something like depression or anxiety or OCD or some other struggle that kind of leads them down this path.
0: Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's such a funny thing because similarly, like I'm obsessed with food, you know, it's like, I love it so much. It's so, I find it such an exciting thing. I think cooking for someone is one of the most loving things you can do some of my best memories in my whole life are connected to food so like in my family there's five of us and my mom would say you can have whatever you want for dinner for your birthday like she would make it and the thing was is the only time she would ever make lasagna was for our birthday So you could have whatever you want. But the only time you can have lasagna is for your birthday. So it felt like this really special meal like that's the only time she'd make it because it was so much work and she'd make big Caesar salad and cheesy garlic bread. But only on your birthday could you have that specific meal because it's so much work. So like my memory of all those birthdays is like, you know, it's like like when it would come up to your birthday, oh, I could have maybe I'll want fried chicken or whatever. And your siblings would be like, it's your birthday. You're having lasagna. We all need to have the lasagna. You don't get it on other days. So like that feels so special, you know, um, I have two little boys and they love cooking with me and making, you know, and so whenever, whenever we're talking about what we're going to do, it's often around like making some delicious food. So that's the, uh, that's the other thing. It's like, um, when you have a bad relationship with food, it can make, it's such a joy that you're sort of missing out on, you know, it's such a beautiful thing. Sharing food with other people and having conversation is like such a age-old way of connecting.
1: Yeah, and a term I've heard used often is treat food as fuel, which I agree with, but also treat food as a treat. like It's Mm -hmm. a wonderful thing to be able to enjoy. And the experiences you get by having like you said, that those memories with lasagna and being with other people and going out to eat, those things used to be so stressful for me in terms of picking out something that I would deem acceptable and worrying about the calories as I'm sitting around all my friends. My relationships have never been so good as they are now, now that I have moved out of the eating disorder and my life is just much more full and happy. And I don't think about food constantly. That was a huge thing when I was under eating or struggling with binge eating, that was all I ever thought about. And I couldn't have the energy to focus on anything else.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other one with exercise, cause you mentioned that you like biking and going for walks. The other one with that is, um, I think that a lot of athletes, um, deal with as well, where you'll see eating disorders connected to, um, a lack of physical activity sometimes. And I think that connection goes to like exercise for us was work for so long that it wasn't breaking your focus from other things. It wasn't a thing that we do for enjoyment. It was something that we did for work. And then when you're done work, you sort of feel like I want to break from that. And then um, I think that that's something that can take a little while too. And the two are obviously related is like, when can you find exercise in a way that, it provides you with this mental break from your job or family or stress or life struggles. And I think those, those two things are so related and it leads to uh, sometimes yo-yoing of body weights and eating habits and all that, because you're tired of working out so much. So then you, you feel your body changing and then you're not happy with your body changes. So then you have a bad relationship with food as if food did something wrong. And it's sort of, Yeah.
1: Yeah. And anytime there's a big change in your life is usually when people are more susceptible to eating disorders or other mental health struggles. So for me, when it was, I was going from high school to college, that's when my eating disorder developed. And as you mentioned earlier, a lot of people who graduate and maybe aren't continuing to compete, which is very common struggle with, well, how much do I exercise? Should I keep doing it for fun? How much do I eat? Right. And none, I don't feel like anyone is really given guidance about how to navigate that you Mm -hmm. sort of prepare yourself to get out into the job world and, you know, use your major for whatever you're doing next. But how do you transition from being a full-time college athlete into, I I don't know, some, the, it's a tough time and it's a tough transition. And I do see a lot of people struggling with their body image Mm -hmm.
0: through that. Yeah. 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 And I guess uh, I guess the next thing would be for people that don't fully understand there that they may have some kind of disorder. What would be things that you might tell or things that you recognize as points like maybe you aren't full blown or whatever you want to say? I'm sure like everything else, there's a spectrum, but some red flags or things that they could pinpoint like, oh, this is getting unhealthy. What what are things that people could know as like uh, markers?
1: The biggest thing is that if you're questioning it, it's worth getting checked out. Um, Mm -hmm. some doctors will be able to help you with that too. If you just go in and say what you've been struggling with, otherwise some other signs you can start looking for is feeling like you're constantly thinking about food, obsessing about it, um, counting calories, feeling uncomfortable with your body. Most people have a point in their lives where they're uncomfortable with their body. So Yeah. It's tough. The line between disordered eating and a full-blown eating disorder, they're both very valid and you should absolutely get the help that you deserve at either side of the spectrum. I think it starts going into the eating disorder territory when those behaviors take over everything else in your life, where, like I said, you're not able to engage in the relationships around you. You feel like it's affecting everything that you do. You're avoiding restaurants because you're worried about the food there, or you don't participate in other activities. For me, everyone's going to be different. But for me, I was so worried about sleep because I thought if I didn't get enough sleep that I would overeat. So I didn't even go out to hang out with friends late at night because I was so worried I had to, you know, I, there was so many things in magazines and stuff saying that you eat more if you, don't sleep enough or something. And I don't worry about that anymore. I just try to get good sleep because it's good for you. But um, yeah, it just gets to the point where every decision you make surrounding food or body image negatively affects you. Right. Um, Yeah. And it's not going to be as easy as I, I guess easy, isn't the right word, but um, you may not be throwing up your food or exercising right after you eat You may not look a certain size, whatever you're struggling with. If it's taking over things that you love in your life and you feel like you're not as engaged in life, you feel really tired and sluggish. If any of that is affecting you, it's worth getting checked out. It may not even be an eating disorder, but it could be something else that's worth getting diagnosed and help for.
0: Right. And, and you're saying as well, that oftentimes these come to fruition at times of significant change. So I'm guessing that means that you'd see a lot of it start from grade school going into high school or primary school, going into high school, high school and university, uh, um, end of career in sport, if that's the case, that this would be the time.
1: Yep. That's a great part to note too. Yeah. If there's been a big change in your life, that's a very common time for these things to crop up.
0: Right. And so I guess my next question would be is like, Outside of those big transition periods, like have you seen it in people that are very young where you're, is it a thing that comes up with eight year old children potentially or?
1: Yeah, I've heard that there have been really young kids in treatment, including men or mm-hmm. boys, you would mm-hmm. say. I think as young as eight, it's not as common, but right. it does happen. And it's important to note that this can happen and older ages as well. There's a lot of men and women who struggle with eating disorders, but I think they're still in the mindset that they don't feel they should acknowledge it, or they're not as well educated about the help that they um, should feel like they can get, or mm-hmm. they just feel like it's normal because it's been so, you know, normal for most mm-hmm. of their lives. Betsy Brenner wrote a book about her experience with an eating disorder uh, later in life. She was also a tennis player, but that's also a great book. I think it's, um, oh, it's something about tennis in the title. I I feel so sad. I can't think of it right now. But she wrote about her eating disorder at a later age as well. So, yeah, it can affect all ages, all races, all body sizes, does not discriminate.
0: Right. And so the... I guess my question would be in terms of parents what would you what advice would you give to parents to help even without them being worried about their child I guess I would say because I think that if if you're only talking to people if they're worried about their child I think you and I would probably agree that's too late that we need to know that it's a healthy conversation that we can have and that conversation can happen sooner so if you're talking to a parent what would what would your advice be
1: I was very fortunate that I grew up in a family that didn't have a scale. We didn't really talk negatively about food and I still developed an eating disorder. So I think it's important for parents to know that you're not going to be the first person everyone's going to blame and you shouldn't blame yourself. Right. Yeah. Maybe there have been comments over the years. I remember a few comments my parents said about other people. So it made me feel like they would judge me if I gained weight Mm -hmm. and parents are imperfect. That's okay. Uh, I just, I feel sad when parents blame themselves and I've had so many conversations with my parents. I have a few actually interviews with parents on the running in silence YouTube channel to get their perspective because it was very hard to see the eating disorder even happen. Like they did not know what I was engaging in the behaviors. They thought that was a basic hardworking athlete. So don't blame yourself if it's hard to see, but definitely look for the signs of someone. If your kid may be exercising more than usual, it's basically, you're looking for specific behavior changes. It's not always going to be wages, but if you notice behavior changes, that's probably going to come first. Mm-hmm. So maybe they come home and say they've already eaten dinner or find different ways to skip out on family meals, or they're exercising more than usual, going on a bunch of walks or... Um, they started a diet, not to say that everyone who goes on to vegetarian or veganism has an eating disorder, but it could potentially be a sign that they're Mm -hmm. trying to restrict food groups and say, Oh no, I'm just trying to get healthy. We can also avoid at least I think of my parents when I say this avoid like criticizing other bodies around you because kids hear that. And it can be really impactful on how they view their bodies and be nice about our own bodies too. Um, my mom is usually, I mean, she is a fit athlete, very strong, goes to like master swimming age group stuff. She's very hardcore, but you know, once in a while, she'd say something about her body and like, you look amazing. How can you say that about yourself? And what does that say about me? It's again, a big culture shift, but, really recognizing how we talk about our own bodies about other people's bodies and not encouraging our kids to start a certain diet or recognizing specific behavior changes and if you do think that your kid might be struggling i have a whole blog post with dr paula quatrimoni she's one of the leading eating disorders and sports experts in the u.s she talks through this whole blog post about how to approach your son or daughter struggling um and the Basics of it is expressing the specific behaviors that you've noticed, sharing that you're concerned and that it would worth just getting checked out by the doctor just to eliminate if there's anything else wrong. Because most kids are going to be in denial or not want to get any help right away and normalizing speaking up and addressing it instead of just ignoring it. And I think most most parents want to help, but it's really it can be tough to have those conversations.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I, um, as a parent, I can totally understand the the situation of the like, blaming yourself, you know, you feel mm-hmm. such, um, you feel so much pressure, internal pressure, and so much, I mean, it's such an important, difficult job. And so when anything happens, you automatically blame yourself. Because how can my child, you know, it's it's an innocent child which is true and I'm not blaming them either it's just things happen it's not a blame it's not a blame on anyone no one's at fault things happen things happen to everybody in all walks of life and that's it's it's just that our our um, human nature is to make something the problem like some individual is the problem for this right And it's like, no, it's just, it's just what occurs. It just occurs. It occurs in a percentage of the population, a significant one. Well, if it's, you know, 33% of, of uh, males that are involved in sport as uh, an estimate of that number. Well, I don't think that 33% of the population was raised the exact same way right so it's it's ridiculous nor are 33 percent of those boys clones so there's no blame to be had it's just that this occurs and and um and just openly speak about it and i guess as a coach my next thought would be again um athletes are often just trying to show their best foot their best situation to a coach because they want to impress the coach they want to get um Advice they want to show them that they're capable of doing more and moving on to that next stage. So, I guess from the coach's position, what it makes me think is obviously, if you see something, but you're less likely you're not around them as much, or sometimes you are. But I guess, um, just having a conversation openly in front of everyone, just talking about like, I know that some of you may be struggling with this kind of thing that doesn't make you weak. Um, I guess it would be my thought. I'm not sure what. Uh, you obviously have more experience talking about this than me, but what what kind of advice do you give to coaches in this kind of scenario and working with large groups or small groups or whatever?
1: Yeah, that's definitely a piece of advice I give in the presentations to coaches, the running in silence presentations about just having an open conversation about mental health, saying the door is always open. We know everyone's going to be struggling with something. We're here to talk. I share a little bit about my own disordered eating, not going in drastic detail or anything, but I think being a little vulnerable ourselves helps other kids to feel like they can open up to us and really developing that relationship with our athletes. I think coaches have this incredible position to be a mentor and a wonderful influence for our athletes. There was one coaching session I went to that talked about how coaches are psychologists and therapists and athletic trainers. And I was like, no, we're not, and that's okay. Like Mm. knowing that we're in this great influential role to be like a mentor and assist our athletes with getting to those right resources if they need it, But being there to talk and being one of the first people to have those conversations because we're with our athletes so much, again, probably not as much as parents, their family. But seeing those behaviors or being one of the first people to maybe notice behaviors that aren't very healthy and having that relationship with our athletes allows us to kind of be the first people to have that conversation.
0: Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's important to recognize what position we're in. And the access that we have, and that oftentimes, coaches really do care about the athlete, they a lot most people get into coaching, I can't speak to all because nothing is that way. But most people get into coaching because they genuinely want to help people, they want to help people perform, they want to help people succeed, they want to help people live stronger, healthier lifestyles. And you have this access to them. But I think to put yourself in the position where you start using the terms that you are those other things other than their coach, you're putting a lot on your plate. And I think it's unfair to the coach to think, oh, I have to be a dietitian now. And I have to be their mental health coach. And I have to be the sports psych. And I have to be the technical coach. And I have to be the administrator. You're just setting yourself up to fail. That's why people have education in these fields is so we can't all do all things well all the time. It's impossible.
1: Exactly. And like you said, it should be a relief to know that we don't have to do all of those things, but we do have a great job and a role for our athletes.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then um, I guess in, in terms of the other part that I, that I think about that maybe I think I should heighten when I do have these conversations is talking about, which, Not having a speech prepared to talk to kids but uh, in this in this field is, is just talking about the changes that naturally occur during the body and I think that's, that's like such a strong part of, of it boys and girls everybody body changes very dramatically. And that those changes occur and it's okay. And, and looking leaner than someone else doesn't mean you're not strong. And, you know, all of those kinds of things, when you are naturally on a bulkier frame, that doesn't mean that you're not fast too. And I think sort of, um, uh, trying to express that we're, we're never going to look like someone else. That doesn't mean that they work harder or work less or whatever it is from you.
1: Yes. And that's something we try to bring up at our parent meeting for cross country, Uh, at least I do about puberty, especially for girls, because usually they're going through a lot more changes uh, physically and just saying, hey, it's totally normal to plateau. They're in high school, their bodies are growing. A huge part of this program is learning how to work with our bodies and be able to continue doing their sport or whatever they love for the rest of their lives, because it should be this balance and this happiness with the sport, learning how to love it, how to compete and develop all these other parts of being A human beyond just being this robot athlete yes we want them to succeed we want them to get their personal records but there's going to be a point where they plateau and they may not run as fast and how are they going to handle those challenges mentally um we're going to be there to support them it's not always fun but it really creates strong people to be able to go through that and they learn a lot through those experiences
0: yeah it's it's funny i had um a student called me last night actually talking about struggling with sort of the idea of whether they should continue competing or not
1: mm. and
0: his question was to me would i be would i be happier if i go to the olympics or if i do this other thing and what i was trying to explain to him is you're putting your happiness in the wrong area mm. if you go to the olympics There'll be joy in the moment and all of that kind of stuff. But the next day you're you. And so you can't put your happiness on these results that you get. And so these plateaus happen and there's going to be struggles and it's going to be really hard, but it's very easy, which is something that I did myself is like, it's very easy to think that my happiness or my self-worth is connected to something that I'm going to achieve because it's not. That's not, that's not where our self-worth comes from. It has to be there independent of it, which is like really easy to see. But I think that's something that for myself, I find as a good self talking tool is like whether or not I'm as lean or as heavy or as strong or as fast or get the results professionally that I want. My self-worth has to be there no matter what, because if you have a bad day, then you're worthless. Like that doesn't work. And if I have a good day, then the world should love me. That's not how it works either. And so yeah, I think, I think all of, again, as you were saying, it's like mental health is so connected to food. They're not independent at all. They're finally woven together. And, and um, yeah, I think you, you can't be looking for these results for a happiness place. And that's a very easy thing to fall victim to. And that just deteriorates the whole relationship with your food. I think.
1: Yeah. That was so well said. And one of the big questions I had to ask myself when I was still stuck in my eating disorder, because even though I was working with a therapist and a dietitian, there was still a huge part of me that wanted to lose weight because I thought I would run fast. And I had to say like, well, why am I so set on running faster, having these great performances and running? And when I answered myself, I was like, cause it's the only thing that makes me happy and feel value and worth. And that Mm -hmm. is scary. If that's the only thing holding you together, there's, you got to find something more than that. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And that's the one I think that's so that what you said is like, that's the thing that's such a common thread. I think that's a very common thread. And I don't think it is isolated to sports. People are workaholics. People Mm -hmm. connect it to the same thing professionally. People connect it to their education. If I'm not on the dean's list, then I'm not worthy of love, that I'm not worthy of friendships, that people shouldn't look up to me or appreciate me as a person. If I'm not an Olympic champion or a world champion or a national champion or a regional champion or the best player on my high school team, then I am not worthy of having someone of, you know, like an intimate relationship with someone or having the friends that I have. And, um, that that's such a common. I think that's just like a common human trait. That um, yeah, it's it's not. We see it a lot in sport, but it's definitely not isolated to sport.
1: Yeah, I mean, sport is a big reflection of society too, and that's mm-hmm. I think why we get so into sports. Not right. totally realizing that until you really think about it, but right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, it was it was fantastic to get to speak to you today, and thank you so much yeah. for your time.
1: And, I'm so glad this worked out and we got connected.
0: That uh, was great. And uh, I guess my, so if people want to find you, they can go to runninginsilence.org. Yes. Uh, you have a book, Running in Silence. Uh, you have a YouTube channel.
1: Yep. Running in Silence also.
0: Perfect. It makes it easy to yeah. remember it also, I'll definitely uh, put some links at the bottom and all that kind Perfect. of stuff. And, and thank you very much for your time.
1: Great. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Bye.